Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear fellow redeemed, a Roman Catholic man once made a comment. He said, in our church, we talk an awful lot about the Virgin Mary, but sometimes I think we forget that she had a son. If a practicing Catholic can make such an honest admission, then it leaves me lots of reason also to confess that among strict Lutherans, it sometimes seems like we're infected with a little bit of a Protestant extremism. What I mean by that is not that we talk about Jesus so much we forget he had a mother. No, we remember that all the time. We confess in our creeds Mary and her virginity. But it is also true that we spend an awful lot of time trying to prove that she had a sinful nature. We're very quick to point out her original evil that she was born with just like all the rest of us. And while that is true, it doesn't need to necessarily predominate everything we think or say about her. In fact, if you were listening closely to her song, The Magnificat, in today's Gospel, she said, from this day on, all generations will call me blessed. It's okay to spend a little bit of time studying the Virgin Mary and thinking about her. Paul gets the ball rolling for us in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, When the set time had fully come, God sent his son to be born of a woman. He doesn't say virgin. He's not trying to prove the virgin birth here. He wants to emphasize how much like us Mary is. She was an ordinary girl, a, a very righteous and pious Jewish girl, but she had normal feelings and sentiments, a daily schedule like any of us. And at the same time, we have to admit that God gave her a job unlike any other woman in history, unlike any person in history. She gave birth to the God-man, the Savior of the world. The next time that somebody tries to tell you that the Christian religion is misogynistic or sexist, you might point out, well, God seems to think pretty highly of women. He picked a woman to bring the Savior into this world without the help of any man. It's okay for us to talk in honoring or admiring terms about her. She had a cousin named Elizabeth in the chapter just before today, or in the verses just before today's gospel, Elizabeth said, blessed are you among women. And Mary agreed. She said, yes, I am blessed. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. If anything, you'd have to agree with me that the Holy Spirit inspired those words, right? But that brings up a whole other topic, verbal inspiration. How did God inspire people in Bible times with his words? We often maybe picture a portal opening up in the sky, or perhaps they just heard a loud voice in their daily routine. Maybe it came in the form of 
overwhelming feelings or mystical emotions or in a dream. And the book of Hebrews does tell us in the very first verse of chapter 1, in the past God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets at many times and in many ways. So perhaps Mary and Elizabeth did get direct revelation that inspired them to say these words recorded in Luke's gospel. But if you only remember one thing from this sermon today, let it be this. You will never find the Holy Spirit apart from written scripture, and you will never find written scripture apart from the Holy Spirit. That applies to the Virgin Mary, too. Doesn't she strike you as a good student of the Bible? She seems like she knew her scriptures well. And yes, God could have directly revealed the Magnificat to her through supernatural means, but it could also be that this Jewish teenage girl had just gone to synagogue enough times that she heard the Isaiah scroll over and over. Why don't you take a look at your service folders and put the first reading side by side with today's gospel. Take a look at Isaiah 61. About halfway through the reading, the prophet says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will celebrate because of my God, for he has clothed me in garments of salvation. Then look at Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. She said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble state of his servant. But no, we think, it can't be that easy. Mary just paid really close attention in synagogue, and that verse from Isaiah inspired her to sing the Magnificat. No, it must have happened in a much more miraculous way. Mary was so special. A second grade Sunday school student could do it that way by hearing a Bible passage and making up a New Testament version of the song based on it. I could do it that way. Yes. Yes, you could. And Paul makes the point in today's reading from Galatians that he has given you his Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that conceived God in Mary's womb. The same Holy Spirit that inspired her and Elizabeth to sing their songs. That Holy Spirit also moves and breathes in your soul. Paul says, because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts to shout, Abba, Father. Ladies, as we work our way through the rest of this text from Galatians 4, you should know that the word son does not in any way emphasize the gender of the child in the family. It emphasizes the fact that this child would get the inheritance of the family. And in that sense, Paul says to each and every one of us, regardless of gender, you are all sons of God. You all get to have the inheritance through Christ. It's tempting to think, though, that maybe I have to do something if I want the Holy Spirit to talk to me the way that he talked to Mary. Did she follow some routine? Was she especially well-behaved? 
What are the steps that I need to take if I want the Holy Spirit to tell me God's will for my life? If I want to find out details of my future and the best way to serve the Lord there, how can I get the Holy Spirit to reveal that to me? It makes sense, doesn't it, that we would have to go through some list of steps in order to get something from the Holy Spirit. That makes a lot of sense. In fact, it makes so much sense that Paul calls it the basic principles of the world. But he doesn't mean that as a good thing. The basic principles of the world mean the foundation of every human man-made religion. Paul wrote, What I am saying is this, As long as the heir is a young child, he is no different from a slave. Although he is owner of everything, he is still under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. The Galatians would have known about inheritance law. So Paul uses an example from inheritance law to make his point. In Greco-Roman times, the child in the family would get to inherit this massive mansion or estate. But as long as he was a child, he looked no different from the workers on that estate. In fact, the slaves got to tell the little child what to do, even though they would never own that piece of property. Paul then said, when we were younger children, we were enslaved under the basic principles of this world. He means we, the Jewish people of the Old Testament. He says we were enslaved. They had to follow protocol for their sacrifices, the uniforms of their priests. They had to keep certain rules about how to run court cases and suspected incidents of murder and adultery. They had dietary restrictions. And most importantly, God commanded all of that for them. Then comes Paul in Galatians and says, those things are a pagan religion. He calls them the basic principles of the world. He insults the Jewish Old Testament covenant by saying it's really no different than all of the human religions in which you have to do something right before the God will do something nice for you. Every other religion on earth is based on you put up with enough, you suffer enough, you work hard enough, and then the deity will bless you. Paul presented to the Galatians the new covenant, the relationship with the heavenly Father that comes by grace. He wrote, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son to be born of a woman so that he would be born under the law in order to redeem those under the law so that we would be adopted as sons. His point was that even things which God has commanded, like circumcision or the dietary laws of the Old Testament, even things that God has ordered for us can turn into a religion of Satan if they lead you to think that you participated in saving yourself. For the Galatians, it was circumcision. They thought, Jesus can't really redeem me unless I get circumcised. Paul then had to say, as long as you keep thinking that about circumcision, it doesn't matter that God commanded it. You are living as slaves. So let's bring it back again to the inheritance law and the little child on the estate who looks no different from the workers on the property. Paul said, we as the Jewish people of the Old Testament were like those slaves. 
We had to live under the law even though we were the inheritors of the whole kingdom. We had to follow certain rules and get circumcised and not eat pork and worship in a certain way. But then Christ came and he set us free. He was born under the law in order to redeem those under the law so that we would be adopted as sons. A worker at a Christian gift shop a couple years ago was trying to sell me on a book, the title of which was Untethered. She said it was a book geared toward helping adults reach out to troubled teens or young people leading godless and unruly lives. The basic premise of the book was these young people today are so untethered. Bless her heart. And it's true, young people, teenagers in particular, they do have a rule-breaking problem. They do flirt way too much with godlessness. But let's think about the counterpart of that book title. If the problem is that these young people today are so untethered, then what's the solution? Let's tether them? That's, that doesn't sound like the spirit of freedom that God gives us here through his adoption in Jesus. You wouldn't adopt a battered third world orphan from a foreign country only to keep that child on a short leash in your house, would you? No, God has adopted us not so that he can reprogram us like a bunch of robotic slaves with a whole new set of rules. He has set us free from the rule of law so that we can now live as his adopted children. Paul wrote, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Indeed, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I want you to remember this if ever you ask yourself, what am I doing wrong? People who ask things like that often think that if only I could get better at following certain rules, things would go better in my life. And that might happen, but you also might get really good at following rules and still bad things happen to you. The point is that God has given you a place in his family not based at all on how well you follow rules. So when it comes to your future and your path in life, in Christ, whatever you decide, whatever you choose, is pleasing in God's sight. You have choices in front of you that are not good and bad, but good and good. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are also an heir of God through Christ. Amen.